now. So, you just heard the story. I'm going to keep talking about it, because there's a lot to talk about. And uh, you can keep drawing, or you can keep writing. I hope that you have something to share with your friends at the end. That goes for you too, adults. Um, if you don't want to draw on a keyboard, or you didn't pick one up, or we didn't provide enough for everyone to have one, um, we did provide um, these little uh, next step in the story. Okay, so don't you all just love this story of the dishonest manager? Um, you know, in the Lutheran Study Bible, um, which some of you own, uh, you can look this up. Uh, in the Lutheran Study Bible, they always put uh, notes in all the study Bibles. In the Lutheran, they put notes along the side margin of the pages. And so when you come to a confusing passage like this... Uh, what do we do? We read it and we're like, oh, what's this all about? What can I, how can I gain some insight here? And so we look over to the margin. And in the Lutheran Study Bible, uh, next to this passage, there is nothing. <laughs> Zero, zip, not even a question, nothing. It's like, oh, just keep moving on, uh, <laughs> right? But in the wisdom of the lectionary and in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, uh, pastors like myself all over the world have been taxed with the, uh, uh, the challenge of taking this most difficult pa- parable that Jesus tells um, and trying to make sen- some sort of sense of it. What does it mean for us today? Well, and and, and I, I give that today because the truth be told, I don't know what this means all the time, but this is where I've been led to today. And so I hope that in some way, if you disagree with what I'm going to share with you today, and that's highly possible, um, that's, that's fine. I hope that something in what I'm going to share with you about this strange parable points you towards a deeper life and commitment to God. Because I know that at the end of the day, if that's what we've done, whether it fits with this story or not, that's going to be a good thing. So let me talk about this story a little bit more. Um, There is stuff all over this that makes us just feel uncomfortable, right? Even the master in this story is not very good, right? He fires the guy without without even a conversation. Come into my office because you're fired. I need to know what you did with all of my money. That's, that's, That's basically what he says, right? So the master, we can't even like... Most of the time with parables, if there's a master in it, we want to make that God. I would discourage you from doing that in this story, right? Let this be a story. Let this be a story that Jesus tells to make one point. 
And, and just in case you need a little more encouragement to say it's okay if we come to different conclusions, at the end of the gospel today, did you notice how many conclusions this one comes to? There's at least three there, right? Um, the first one is make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. All right, that's, that's the first uh, offering up as a moral. Then the next thing is whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. That's the next one. So this is about um, making friends, about honesty, and then the third one is uh, no one can serve two masters. For you'll either hate the one or love the other, or be devoted to the one, despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Um, so the third one is about uh, not, not having divided loyalties. Are those all the same to you? Because <laughs> they're not to me. And, and, and there's a lot of commentaries out there, if you want to read the commentaries on this, they will point out to you that there's a very good possibility that the gospel writers and the community that puts this together in the first place has varying opinions about what this story that Jesus told was really getting at. It meant different things to different people. Shocker. <laughs> right? And so, at least three of those are included here. Sometimes you'll hear one of them, and it'll speak to you in that way. Sometimes you'll hear another one. And, but always, we're going to come away from this, this parable kind of scratching our heads a little bit. As I came to this this week, one of the things that I did first was uh, look at that first line. And it just said, Jesus continued to talk to the disciples. What it says is that he hasn't switched setting from what he was just discussing before. Right? Jesus continued to tell the disciples. He hasn't moved. He hasn't left where we were before. You know where we were before? Last week. Chapter 15. Chapter 15 started with grumbling of Pharisees. Ah, why does he hang out with all these sinful, not-so-good people? And Jesus started telling stories, right? We had two of them last week. We skipped the third one. It'll come up later. It's your favorite one. It's the parable of the lost son, and the, or the prodigal son. We talked about 99 sheep. Jesus, that the shepherd leaves behind to go after one. We talked about nine coins that a woman has in her hand, but she's missing one. She turns over the whole house for one. We talked about celebrating when you find the lost, about how that's what is at God's heart. That third story of the prodigal son that we're all so familiar with, what does it say? It says that the father is greatest desire. See, we want to make it about the son most of the time when we call it the prodigal son, but I think that story is meant to be about the father who does everything that he possibly can to hold his family together because nothing is too much. He, he gives his son all of his inheritance. His son goes and mismanages it. Sound familiar? Uh, <laughs> squanders it all. Ends up with nothing, and decides what? I'm going back. I'm going back to the Father. And the Father doesn't say, no, no, you missed your opportunity. What does he say? I'll come home. I'll come 
That's the setting that Jesus continues to tell this story into. And it isn't about money. That's why we have so much trouble with this passage in some respects, is that we, it, 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 the money stuff in this one makes zero sense. Do not use this to make financial plans for you, your family, or your business. It will result in nothing good. <laughs> this is not good financial advice. And it makes us uncomfortable because we see that and then we, say, we see somebody who makes a terrible financial decision, a terrible business decision, a terrible ethical decision, and, and, and the master commends him. And it seems like Jesus is commending him, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems like Jesus has something positive to say because it's really the only positive person in the story is the dishonest manager. And Jesus is telling the story, so it seems like Jesus has something good to say about the dishonest manager. And we don't really like that all that much, but it's what happens. So what's positive about this guy? This is where I go back to what I was talking to the children about, about how the one thing that happens for this guy is that he starts to finally get it. Maybe you guys are further down the line on this than I am. But there's a lot of days where I spend a lot of time doing a lot of things that are not directed in the direction <laughs> that I know God wants me to go. I mismanage a lot of time. Do you? What changes that? What focuses that? This is where it's going to get really interesting because what focuses that for me, and I like this story for this reason, because this story, <laughs> this story speaks truth about me. What focuses that for me? is not somebody saying, you should do this for God, or you should do this for your neighbor. What focuses that for me is when I realize that if I don't do this, it's going to hurt me. Anyone else in my camp? That's where this guy is. He thinks that it's okay to just do whatever he wants to. He's going it, and it'll make it better. You know, I always think that what he was doing before was kind of what he did in the parable in reverse, right? He was overcharging people and pocketing the money. That's what I always, I always assumed. Keep in mind, he's not real. It's just a story. No one actually did this. <laughs> but I always assume that's the backstory that we don't get told. We don't know. Maybe he was just downright lazy. Maybe he wasn't doing anything. He was just bad at what he was doing. <laughs> he didn't know how to use money to make friends and win, win uh, and influence people. 
He learns. He learns when he starts to see that what he does impacts him. And that what he has been doing has not actually helped him. When do you change things about yourself? Isn't it when you start to realize that what you're doing is not actually helping you? It's not making your life better? Now, we, we struggle with that. My Diet Coke addiction, all kinds of things, right? <laughs> Comes to mind. It's not helping my life get better, and I'm working on it. I'm off of Diet Coke for at least one week. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you hold your applause until Christmas. <laughs> but, but we don't make those choices until we see something that says, you know what, I, this isn't really helping. This is getting in the way of where I want to go. And then we start to say, how can I change that? That's not about my neighbor and it's not about God. It's all about me. And I, I don't usually preach messages that say it's not about your neighbor, it's not about God, it's all about you. Today is your day, right? This is the one day. Because that's what this guy is all about. He's all about himself. And he says, this is the one thing I have and I'm going to use it to make sure that I'm taken care of. And he does it and the master <laughs> commends him for it. He says, now you finally get it. Singular focus. One place. You understand that this is what it is. What do I usually say? Not it's all about you. What do I usually say? I usually say it's not about you. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. Here's the trick. Where does that come from? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Three loves, right? Name them. Love God. Love neighbor. Love self. Are those different? <laughs> Try this one on. I have a faith. I have a life. Are those different? We know that they are, don't we? And I heard somebody say it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. We're not called to have, to be scattered in different directions. We're called to be laser focused. And when that laser focus comes, it usually comes uh, because we've been highly motivated to get there. How does God highly motivate you? Maybe it's through loving God. That's what highly motivates you. Maybe it's through loving your neighbor and hearing about their needs. And that's what highly motivates you. And you get, you get uh, caught up in that. And as soon as you know that you can do something for somebody else, that's what you want to do. And so you put yourself fully into it. And that motivates you. Maybe it's about worship and, and the love of God that motivates you to just shape your life around that opportunity. To share and bring people into the opportunity to love God the way that you have loved God and how that has changed your life. Maybe it's about loving you. <laughs> and you get highly motivated when you realize that you have the opportunity to make your life better. 
And so you figure out ways to improve your life. Here's the, here's the thing. Those are not different in God's eyes. It's just that we get darn confused about how loving ourselves, loving our neighbor, or loving God are connected. And we think that I can love myself in ways that don't honor God. You love yourself in ways that don't honor God and your neighbor? It's not really love. You're destroying yourself. And God doesn't miss it. We are called to recognize the truth that if we want to share life, that life has one source. That source plays itself out in everything we do. We don't have a faith and a life. We have a life of faith. We don't get to decide to love God and not love ourselves. We do that by loving ourselves. We don't get to decide to love our neighbor and to, to love ourselves but not our neighbor, or to love our neighbors but not ourselves, or to love our, our neighbor and ourselves but not God because they are all connected. It's all part of the same light. And what we do that destroys one destroys all of it. It's a singular focus. There's no difference between your faith, your life, and your love for God and others. And if you think that there is, <laughs> this story would tell you you're kidding yourself. Jesus looks at the Pharisees who are gathered around him and think that they can love God and love their friends without loving those <laughs> who they're uncomfortable with and says, I got a story for you. And do you know what their response is? If you read one more verse in this passage, you will find that the Pharisees <laughs> ridiculed Jesus for all that he had said. He said, ha, see, we told you we don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Because their focus and ours is often not on where the light is shining. It's not about the money. It's not about the right and wrong. It's not about the ethics. It's not about any of that. It's about life. And you're in it. And God calls you to live it fully. Not partly, but fully. For Him, you'll find you're living for you too. And your neighbor. 